Intrusions for you. Intrusions for you. Intrusions all around. Welcome to Cypher Speak, my friends. I am here today with my co-host Darcy, a brash roadside picnicker who has a very good time. And I'm here with my co-host Troy, a joyous ninja dad who is addicted to ciphers. And this is Cypher Speak. Today, we are going to take a question from our wonderful audience. Uh, this one comes from Jim Fitzpatrick at Jim the Linguist on Twitter. And he wants to know, how does playing and GMing Cypher affect how you play other games? It spoils you. That's what. You're ruined forever. <laughs> that's my thoughts as well. But I guess we probably should talk a little bit more if we want to show out of this, huh? <laughs> I guess so. Uh yeah, it, it's really interesting. I'm excited to talk about this topic. So thank you so much, Jim, for suggesting it. Uh, I think I come from a little bit of a strange space because I basically learned to GM with Cypher. But I, you know, I had grown up on many, many other games. So I, you know, sort of was familiar with the other ones, but I never really spent a lot of time um, GMing the other games. So when, you know, when it came to be, when I, I like... Gosh, I did a co-prosperity sphere um, GM workshop thing that Will Hindmarch was running in Chicago. Uh, and that's where I met uh, the RPG Academy people and Jim McClure for the first time. It was a, and, and Cat Cool, it was a really cool event. Um, but I had uh, boldly signed up to run D&D 5th edition, which I had never, I don't think yet really played. Uh, <laughs> and, and so I got to the event and like I got the adventure the night before if that soon so I was like very at wit's ends and um yeah and so when it came time to like roll for the other creatures I was very horrified <laughs> I was like no <laughs> I was told there would be no math uh and it was but but I but I bumbled through it and I've run D&D fifth edition a bunch of times now despite still not having a DM's guide <laughs> but uh D&D's D&D um so, yeah, what about you as uh, sort of starting thoughts? Um, you know, for me, uh, you know, I came from GMing a lot of different stuff uh, before I came to Cypher. And, you know, for me, it's just, yeah, Cypher kind of clicked in with the way that I currently want to run games. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that our tastes uh, and styles change over time. Uh, part of it is based on how much time you have. You know, when I was younger, running crunchier systems, that I had to like learn the rules and write up stat blocks and stuff yeah. was a lot easier than it is now. Um, so that that's one thing that makes me appreciate kind of the the elegance of the cipher system from the GM point of view. Uh, from the bear metaphor that we're going to keep using, uh, was your porridge cipher system porridge was just right for you? Correct. That that is right. Uh, cipher system is just right. It's not too crunchy. It's not too light. <laughs> it is just right. Yeah, that's actually a good point. Um, I do find it fascinating. I promise I'll end this sidebar quickly. But cipher gets, you know, people who really uh, come from a crunchy perspective see cipher as so light. How could you even run anything using it? And people who come from very narrative games, like James D'Amato, I know his introduction of my Numenera episodes on that uh, one-shot podcast, you know, he describes the Numenera as a crunchy game, you know, and I, <laughs> it like blew my mind when I heard that. So uh, yeah, I do think it really exists in a, in a sort of middle space on, on the spectrums that are sort of building up. Um, 
this is a, a good going to be a good romp for talking about lots of other systems we like and things we're uh, modifying because of how we uh, have experienced and come to love the cipher system. Um, so uh, let's talk about jam intrusions to start. Uh, Troy, do you, do you have some opinions on, uh, I know we both do, but I can give you ground first. Well, so, I mean, uh, we both love GM intrusions. Mm-hmm. They're, they're some of our favorite things in the cipher system. And I think that what I miss when I have a game without GM intrusion, so if I'm running anything not cipher, is I, I miss that way to, within the rules of the game, inject complications mm-hmm. uh, into the game kind of at a time of my choosing. Uh, a lot of games you know, have, you know, oh, you roll the one, you know, a complication happens, you roll a six minus a complication happens, you know, but but those things are at the whim of, you know, chance or the players doing something. It's not you see a moment in a scene where you think that, oh, it would be great to complicate the players lives. There's not a mechanic for it. Right. Now, that doesn't mean that the GM can't do it, right? I mean, we can always kind of interject those things. And and I know some people actually struggle with intrusions of, you know, hey, what's the GM telling the story right. versus what's an intrusion? Um, but for me, it, it's just nice to have there and be like, oh, you know, hey, let's let's do some stuff. Here's some experience. And, um, you know, let's, let's see where this fun kind of part takes me. So, you know, a lot of games I look for a way to you know, kind of add intrusions into them in some way, shape or form. Uh, you know, if there's some currency in the game that I can co-opt, yeah. uh, inspiration from D&D is an easy one. Right. Um, you know, things like that. How about you, Darcy? What do you think about, you know, GM intrusions and other games? I'm I'm partly really grateful for having Cypher System as my first system because I found it really empowering to have a mechanic that sat there mm-hmm. reminding me as the GM that um, throwing complications in front of the players is something that is good for everyone at the table and I should keep doing it, right? Uh, keeping the story going and uh, keeping players on their toes, shaping the events is is my job and I, it's not just... You know, I think I worry sometimes that I'm going to be too harsh. I definitely do. Um, right. And of course I never am. I'm a total pushover. Uh, but the, the XP mechanic helps me get over that in a major way. And so, yeah, I definitely in D and I'm constantly using, uh, inspiration in a slightly hacked form to act like a GM intrusion. You know, I'll bribe someone to, with inspiration to introduce a complication to their life and players love it uh, universally across mm. the board. And it, it doesn't break anything. In, in fact, you know, it's it probably works out that I, I bet you it doesn't even really change the number of inspirations you have at a given time uh, mm. necessarily. So it's not game breaking. It's nothing but fun and great. Uh, I think also... So I have a question for you about this. Within Cypher system or when you're bringing this to another system, do you tend to tell players what the intrusion is going to be? Do you keep it a secret? Uh, This was a discussion I saw in the Cypher system Discord community. Good question. Uh, The easy answer is it depends. Uh, But the biggest drawing line is if I'm running a con game one shot versus if I'm running for my home group. 
Um, if I am running a one shot with people either new to Cypher mm. or new to like playing with me, I've almost always tell them like at least a general idea of what's going to happen. Mm. If I am running for my home group, uh, I very rarely tell them what is going to happen. You know, they might guess based on uh, what, you know, kind of the situation is, but I basically just hold up my, the XP cards and I either wait for them to say yes or no. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know, and then I, I do the thing, um, you know, and, and part of that is, I think you have to build that trust and rapport with your players mm -hmm. that they know that, hey, this is going to introduce a interesting complication. Um, it's not going to be something that just completely, you know, ruins, you know, what's going on. And in reality, even in my home game, right, if I give them the XP and do the intrusion, I would still allow them to xp out of it if they really wanted to mm. right i mean if they said oh no way i don't want that you know fine you know that's fine you can xp out of it mm. but um, in general that hasn't come up too much how about you yeah uh i think i don't t tend to tell them but what i think would be the coolest for me to try to do if i can get my act together <laughs> would be to have that sort of cinematic lara croft is on the shelled out you know frame of an a world war ii plane okay in the jungle and she feels it crack you know she feels it settle a little as she's on the edge of a waterfall so i would like to have that moment of ominous tension uh a twist is coming but you're not quite sure what yet um mm -hmm. and so you know rather than and and I think part of why I would like to have this is because I think in audio formats like podcasts or if you're streaming a game um, or if you're playing a game online and, you know, I, I love the tactile feel of 2XP, holding it over the table, showing your players. I think that works really great at a, at a table game and I think it works mm -hmm. less great in a digital game. And so I would love to have sort of an audio uh, support of that tension building thing. And so I bet that's something that, you know, I, I would get better at if I like worked on improv or something or just listened to a lot of creepy James D'Amato stuff. He's very good at layering that tension <laughs> on. Um, yeah. So that's what I would like to do eventually. Yeah. And I think we might've talked about this way back when in our intrusion episode too. But the other thing that I like is if you have told your players what the intrusion is and they like reject it, they use the XP to get out of it you know, don't just retcon right. what happened, you know, narrate how they got out of it. Right. right. So, you know, the, the plane is like cracking and settling and you hold up your XP and they say, no, well, maybe the plane still falls, but have them narrate how they get out of there before it happens without any ill effects. Absolutely. Um, and I guess one more question with respect to this episode, are there game systems you would not introduce GM intrusions for, right? So I think I could list, I would say my usual instinct is to, there's usually an, an opportunity in the games that I have played to introduce something like GM intrusions, anything that has some kind of player narrative currency or other kind of currency, you know, even things like Golden Sky Stories, which is about friendship <laughs> and magic and forest spirits. And it has a bunch of little currencies that, uh, you know, even within the context of these charming little stories where like the biggest scary thing is we thought a creature was scary and turns out they're friendly or, 
you know, the, the complication of a whole episode could be uh, this seven year old boy is having an argument with his best friend and you need to bring them back together. Right. <laughs> but even in that, you can have GM intrusions. So I think if you don't have a GM that makes GM intrusions hard, although not impossible. Mm-hmm. So I would say maybe set those aside as special cases. Um, but what else? Is there something where you have a GM, but GM intrusions really wouldn't be appropriate? Uh, I So I've actually, and I don't have a lot of experience playing these games, but I'm sure other people have tons more and they can tell me how they've done it or how they fit it in. But I've actually struggled with it in Powered by the Apocalypse games. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, be- because those games are so narrative based and, you know, you're basically narrating along and then you trigger a move. Right. And then based on the outcome of that move, yeah, the the GM can make a hard move, which is kind of like an intrusion, mm-hmm. but it's sort of based on the the dice, right. right? And how do you, when you're just kind of, when the player is just kind of narrating along what they're doing, you know, I, I guess, how do you inject that, that intrusion in that they have to deal with? And, and maybe it's, and maybe I'm thinking about it wrong, because maybe it is like using your plane example, maybe it's, hey, this plane is about to crack and fall you need to make defy danger right right? so i've i i've entered i've interjected that complication but there's no like currency you know so like what what allowed me to make that hard move as as the gm is it just because i'm a gm right (laughs) right and i wanted to make that move um you know so that that's i think where i struggle right from powered by the apocalypse is you know, when, when can I interject that stuff? Right. I know if you roll a six minus on whatever you're doing, I I can, I can make things hard. Right. But if that doesn't happen, you know, when is it okay for me to just say, I think this would be interesting for the story. Right. And I know that a lot of like, especially apocalypse world itself has a list of GM moves. Um, Uh and so those, those are always really interesting. I would love to try to run that sometime. I'm positive terribly but I, I think the experience would be <laughs> one to, yeah. to learn from but I, again I would struggle with using that if, if that was my first game for instance if I had found Apocalypse World before I found Numenera um, they are, there are moves that are really evocative and cool and clearly are trying to teach you to be a good GM in the way that kind of GM intrusions are too and so they are mm-hmm. moves like you know put your players in a tight spot or offer them a a hard choice. You know, these things that are sort of juicy, meaty narrative things to do um, that still are sort of open-ended. But they don't tend to have triggers on the GM side, Mm. except for the dice rolls, like you said. So Mm. what I like is that the GM intrusion is sort of sitting there saying, you should constantly, one process you're constantly running in Cypher System is trying to figure out um, a way to shape or turn the narrative so that while we're narrating, 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 there's sort of a, a kink in it that makes it exciting and injects new fresh energy. So yeah, I think uh, Apocalypse World is a great example, especially with the the different kind of currency. Like you could offer XP, but it, it would seem like it's kind of pulling away from the way that Apocalypse World wants to manage both the flow of story and the XP yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah. It'd be interesting to hear from anyone if they have kind of an idea yeah. of how, you know, we could do that better. Awesome. Okay. Well, this could become the GM intrusion episode again. Uh, so, but let's talk about other things <laughs> in the Cypher system. So, uh, the next topic on our list is ciphers themselves. 
So, uh, of course, they take many forms across Cypher System games, including No Thank You Evil. Um, but they are, you know, fun one-shot items, maybe magic items, maybe bits of tech, maybe blessings from a god. Uh, they come in many, many forms. Uh, Troy, what do you think? Uh, so I think what Cypher System taught me and what I have kind of let influence some of my other games is these are more, most importantly, one-use items. Mm. So they're, they're only going to be used once. So I, I don't think any other game really has the kind of the one-use item economy that you see right. in Cypher System. But what it has taught me is to not be afraid of giving my players a really powerful item if they can only use it once right um you know so like in you know in star wars you give them you know a really powerful blaster or a lightsaber or something but like they know from looking at it that it's about ready to fall apart right so like you have one shot to, to use this thing and and it's just an interesting it's another interesting currency that you kind of can give your players and say, hey, yeah, you have these things that kind of are maybe an easy button for an encounter, but which encounter are you going to use it in? So it's a little bit of twist on Cypher because in Cypher, it's use them because you're always going to get more. Right. Right. Whereas this is, hey, don't be afraid to give your players one use items because it's not going to break your game. It's going to affect a scenario and you can move on from there. Right. That's a really good example, and the, the tension that that builds is so cool. Um, now, the reason that you always find new ciphers is that you you know you have a cipher limit, and, and so a lot of the mechanics are geared toward getting rid of that hoarding uh, temptation. But I think that is less of an issue in a game where you're not going to be encountering tons of one shot items, or like you know, you know, like the holocron that's about to fall apart or whatever. You know, right, you can get yeah. one answer out of it. That's probably going to be so tied to your narrative that the players are going to use it when they have to, right? So mm. I think you can get around that pretty easily. Um, I also think it made me just realize what a delight items can be. Like just this, just the player mm. satisfaction of a cool thing that you now have. Like, you know, I grew up reading D&D books and like hearing a lot about D&D before I ever got to play. And I... I like would read the spells over and over again and all the magic items. I wanted a bag of holding since I discovered it. <laughs> I wanted to cast Layman's tiny hut and live in that shit so hard. I, <laughs> I, I was just, I mean, I have lusted after that spell and that item for eons. Um, and my uh, curse of stratagem, uh, Peter Smith's, um, I, in our Planescape game, I got a bag of holding and I got to cast Layman's Tiny Hut uh, in, I think, my Curse of Strahd campaign. And so I was like, my my D&D dreams have finally come true. So there's something <laughs> really satisfying about that. And, you know, I think D&D 5th Edition and other games have done a lot to give items personality and stuff. There's a, there's a mm -hmm. lot of satisfaction and fun. And, and, like, it feels like it even maybe comes up to be a part of your character, right? Like... Uh, some of these iconic items. So I think it just made me realize that items aren't just set dressing and they're not just tools. They're they're like kind of, they can be a really integral part of the story. Um, and so that, that made me appreciate that a lot. I'm trying to think of like a way I've used that. Um, well, one thing it taught me to do, um, because ciphers are, take so many forms, especially in Numenera, right? Uh, you know, 
I pull a cipher card out and I'm like, oh, you, you know, pull something out of this ancient uh, vessel and you take a look at it and as you tinker with it, you realize it does this, but what does it look like? And usually I'll feed the player a couple ideas in case they're totally stumped or if they're new to the game. But letting players describe the items, I think, is a big success Mm -hmm. I found in Cypher that I would take in a heartbeat elsewhere. And whether that's their clothes, players love to describe how they look, you know, that that tactile, the physical things that they have and are carrying and are using, it's it's worth letting the players get invested in that and get descriptive and cool with it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that's a really good point of, you know, making them descriptive and, and what they are and, and kind of letting the players do some of that. You know, it's kind of like, hey, here's an easy way to source the table and to get people interested in, you know, describing that stuff. And that just pulls them into the game more. Yeah. Um, do you have more on ciphers? I don't. So we can move on to not rolling any dice. Well, very few, <laughs> very few. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on this, Darcy? What do you what do you feel about, you know, not rolling any dice? I feel very strongly, as I've already made very clear, <laughs> I don't see any purpose to me rolling dice. I, I so it's interesting because I like randomizer mechanics that serve as aids for me as a GM, right? I I love using, you know, the cipher cards. I like, um, I've grown to come to love like lists of, uh, you know, there's the weird supplement, the weird glimmer for Numenera. It, it, injecting injecting the, weird, the weird. It's one of my favorites. It's so great. And it's a bunch of tables that are, a weird thing about that place, a weird thing about that person, a weird thing about that uh, building or animal or whatever. And uh, so I usually don't roll on it, although you certainly could. I usually just sort of glance through it as to serve as inspiration. And, you know, I'm running Invisible Sun right now. And anytime I don't have an answer for something right off the bat that I think is cool enough, I draw a card and I look up its divination really quick or I look at the art. And so on one hand, I think dice are supposed to kind of do that too, right? Uh, as as the GM, they could they give the GM some random uh, grit to react to. I think, but I think functionally, in a lot of games, it just serves to roll dice because GMs have always rolled dice, and that is not satisfying to me at all. Right. So, <laughs> if it's going to be, does this creature hit you, and I have to roll against your roll? I care way more about your role. Like my role, my my goal as a GM is to, to describe this weird creature and make you fear, right? And me rolling dice is just not a satisfaction that I certainly get out of it. But I know I am some GMs really like that. And so it's it's not for everybody, but I just I would rather be doing there's so many other things I would rather be doing um in that moment than rolling dice just to see if we hit each other or to see if this person sneaks past you. I like when the math is able to work out the same, right? Uh, a lot of times, like if I could adjust the probability so that, or, you know, I, I know some people who have modified systems to be like, even like D and D to become player facing, right? You just tweak the probabilities. You set DCs, right? <laughs> like difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are they called in D and D? They're, uh, they're not challenge ratings. Uh, it's DCs. I, it's yeah. It's basically setting a level that you need to roll yep. to hit 
just mm-hmm. like in Cypher. So <laughs> if it could just always be that, I would be very happy. Um, and so I guess what you lose is um, a little bit like there's there's some sometimes the satisfaction of knowing the bad guy really slipped up. Um, <laughs> but like that's also narr- like narratable uh, when the player succeeds. Right. So I guess you lose that. Sometimes the bad guys suck too, <laughs> or sometimes the bad guys critically <laughs> succeed against you, and maybe that's exciting, but it it just isn't fun for me to roll. So, uh, what about you, though, Troy? Um, you know, I've definitely talked about this before. Uh, you know, for me, I, I I just love that I don't have to deal with it. Yeah. Um, that's you know what what I like about it. Um, the interesting thing is that I guess I didn't know that it was a problem until I did it. Right. Right. Like, I mean, I never had a problem rolling dice, but um, then I didn't do it and I really liked it. And I think that that's, cause I definitely, I have a couple of friends who are like, you know, how, how can you, what do you do? How can you not roll dice? Like that just, that seems boring. Um, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, well, I'm doing a lot of other stuff. Um, and I kind of think back, I think that the whole, like you said, GMs have always rolled dice. If you look back in kind of the annals of history, I think that the the GM or DM versus the players used to be an mm. adversarial relationship. Right. You know, um, not obviously not all of them, but it definitely was the, the GM's job was to try to kill the players. <laughs> Right. I mean, you, you were like, how, how can I, you know, within the structure of what's fair, how can I make this as hard as possible for the players? I mean, the tomb of elemental evil Mm. exists for purely that purpose. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I I think that that's one of the reasons why, you know, that historically that you've always rolled dice is that because that's you know you taking control as the gm and you're doing your attack it's just like if it's a miniatures war game right yeah you're obviously rolling to attack with your little men and your opponent is rolling to attack with their little men <laughs> um or aliens or dinosaurs or whatever they are um you know but i think that you know for both of us it's and i think uh, most gms these days right that that antagonistic is kind of gone right right? you know it's just hey we're all here to tell a story have a good time see what kind of adventures we get into and it's basically just not necessary anymore for me at least um yeah that that's a great point about the adversarial uh nature that's i think that's definitely mm -hmm. um uh, super insightful and probably where that stems from a lot uh i want to talk about one uh totally related sidebar so let me have this troy you're always trying to <laughs> trying to stop me from my sidebars, yeah. but you can't stop I, this. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm the one that's trying to stop you. Um, so I have been watching a little bit of Every Frame a Painting and another really good film critique series, basically, uh, whose name is escaping me, which is really sad because this is the one I'm going to talk about. Uh, but I will link her in the show notes because she's wonderful. Um, she has this series on the Transformer movies, okay? The Transformers. Um, And they're all incredible and you should watch all of them. But one of the things um, that, one of her episodes is why it's so hard to remember what happens in the Transform in Michael Bay films, generally, including the Transformers film. And so this is a takeoff of uh, 
a, a sort of critique on um, Michael Bayhem, <laughs> so the, uh, <laughs> from every frame of painting. So the, the idea, though, is that um, the movies are so chaotic and they're so uh, explosive and visually all over the place for just like big explosive reasons. Um, and there's there's many reasons, but one of the key ones is about where your eyes focus in the frame as you as you cut between like shots. And so if you're uh, like Fury Road, Mad Max Fury Road, continually keeps the, the the thing you should be looking at in the frame in the center. And so you it's actually really easy on your brain to sort of like follow what you should be watching. Um, and in Michael Bay movies, it's all over the place and doesn't make any sense. And so uh, her her idea is that it's really hard on one hand to to actually follow the action and follow the importance, uh, partly because of that. Um, now, what I think this uh, player-facing die-rolling situation makes happen is I think as opposed to splitting your interest into, okay, what's a, what's the GM rolling over there? What's the player rolling over here? You get this like intense focus on the one role, right? I think that sort of crystallizes the, the, I don't know, the tension and, and puts it in one place. I think GM intrusions, when you hold up those two cards, I think it does the same thing. When you have players bickering about what to do next, it, as soon as you hold up those two cards, you get every player's <laughs> eyes on the same thing, focused on the same moment of tension. And so I, I think that's po- also part of why I feel like player-facing roles are so powerful. Like I don't I don't want to really be the focus of attention unless I am narrating something really cool that we will then jump back to how it's affecting the players. So that's my long winded, uh, where is the focus lying, uh, point. Um, I, I just want to say that, that we may have to cut that cause it's way too insightful for our show. Oh no. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Casey, cut it. <laughs> um, no, that was, that was amazing. Uh, yeah, that's so number one. Yeah. I want to see that link. Cause I like, uh, some of those, uh, interesting, like I watch a lot of movies with Mikey, um, <laughs> and, uh, and he has some interesting things to say about <gasps> movies as well. So I would definitely like to hear another. That's uh, awesome. They're all really good and really funny, especially the one about why Megan Fox is the most realized character on the first Transformer movie. And it's perfect. Uh, Oh my gosh! It's uh, great. Yeah, you need to you need to send me that link before we post this to the show notes <laughs> so that I can start watching. This. I will. Um, um, I guess t- I want to ask you for my sidebar though. So, do you find um, so that was all a big rant about why Cypress is the greatest <laughs> and everyone should play it forever? So, bringing it back to the topic at hand. Um, so, I am slightly of the opinion that like when a GM when when you the GM and the player are sort of rolling opposed dice, you know, I think that splits the focus a little. And, um, and that might produce this experience of sort of tension in two places. Um, but then, you know, sometimes the GM is rolling dice on their own, right? They're, they're checking to see, hey, has my baddie in the background done the thing that I haven't announced to the players he's doing yet? And so I, I think in that way, like, you know, maybe Cypher System misses out on that opportunity to say the GM has these other machinations that you occasionally get glimpses into by hearing the roll of some dice. So I, and I bet there are other mechanics, although I'm not thinking of any right now where like games find ways to sort of heighten tension in one space or another. Uh, the answer to that question is clocks. What? Tell me, talk to me about clocks. Uh, so clocks, uh, blades in the dark is probably Mm. the kind of the 
game that has most recently definitely codified the use of clocks. Um, but so let's say that uh, you just, I well, uh, Headspace does it as well. I mean, there, there's a whole bunch out there, but mm-hmm. Blades in the Dark is really good. And but but essentially, at its most easiest, a clock is just a countdown or count up timer where you fill the portions of the clock based on something. So that could be time. That could be um, every time the um, the players roll beneath a five. Mm. Uh, every time they get a GM or like they roll a one, you click up the clock twice, yeah, right? Neat. And and the clock has how many ever ticks you want it to have, right? Um, so maybe it has six ticks. And when you get to the sixth tick, the players have no idea what's going to happen. Cool. They just know that something is going to happen. And you can use the clocks in a lot of other ways. Um, like you can use them, uh, a way I've seen them used is you can have opposing uh, kind of negotiation clocks. So if you're negotiating with somebody, um, when you succeed, you like, it, it's kind of like d and D 4E uh, skill tests or skill challenges, mm. right? So when you succeed, you, you fill in a box in the clock, in the success clock. And when you fail, you fill in a box in the failure clock. And let's say that this guy is hard to convince, so he only needs two failures. So he's got a two yeah. two spot wow. failure tick, and he's got you've got four success boxes to fill, and whichever one you get to first is the outcome. I love that. Where do you where do you see that done? So you said uh, fourth edition sort of. Uh, so fourth test. edition, they mm-hmm. don't they don't really talk about it as clocks, but if you look at the skill check, right, it's like five successes before two failures is what you need, right? I mean, it's basically kind of the same thing. Uh, But Blades in the Dark, uh, Blades in the Dark makes extensive use and they codify a lot of that use of clocks and how to use them. Um, You know, so I think that those are good examples. Um, Headspace kind of uses them with, uh, I think they're called fronts, Mm. um, where like you do a mission and you decide we're going to put our like piece of the pie in this front but then the other two fronts get a piece of the opponent, right? So you can't like you can you can't manage all of the fronts, right? One of those fronts is going to fail. Oh, you neat. can't like keep ever. You have to decide. We can keep these two at bay, but one of them is just going to go haywire. Sounds like my life. Uh, I'm going to start codifying <laughs> my life into fronts and figure out which balls I'm scribbling in that failure box today. Oh gosh, that's so but, cool! Uh, Thank you. That's but but really yeah, smart. so so clocks I think are an interesting, and, and for people who um, like to not know what's going to happen, right? The GM doesn't have complete control over when the clocks fill. So yeah. if they if if you want to say I don't know what's going to happen at the end of this story, it depends on when this clock fills up. <laughs> you know, it kind of gives you it gives the GM some oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening moments as well. So um, also I think a great resource on clocks is uh, Phil Vecchione uh, at mm. DNA Phil. Um, he he uses clocks quite a bit and is very adept at them. So if you have questions that I can't answer, he can definitely do so. Absolutely. That is so cool. Thank you. Uh, well, we'll have to cut all that because also too insightful for our podcast. <laughs> definitely not acceptable to our uh, to anyone. <laughs> mostly us mostly us <laughs> all right we should move on to our last point which i think is something we've you know sort of touched on here but yeah uh story please 
Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that all of this kind of weaves into this final point is what the Cypher system did for me when I first started running it is it allowed me to emphasize and focus more on the story I was telling. Now, Cypher is by no means the only game that, that does this, right? I mean, there are there are tons of, you know, as we kind of talked about at the top, tons of more even narrative games that do this probably even better. But for me, it was that blend of kind of a traditional game, but allowing me from the GM's chair to really focus on story um, and to not have to worry that much about the mechanics. Mm. Um, I just jumped back into running uh, the Dracula Dossier, which is a gumshoe game after a five-month hiatus. Uh, and it was hard for me to stay in the story space because I had kind of lost most of my system mastery. Uh, so, you know, it, it, I need to bring that back so then I can, you know, kind of know the mechanics and not have to worry about them and I can just tell the story. Mm. And, and, you know, I, I think the thing about the Cypher system is from the GM side, there's so few mechanics to worry about that it's really easy to kind of obtain that kind of system mastery and then just kind of let the story flow. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I do feel like when I leave GMing for a while, though, and I come back, it's not like I've forgotten mechanics, but I have forgotten like the good flow of like when mm. to pull in a GM intrusion, things like that. Like that's what I usually need to sort of like a cold start is kind of hard for me uh, when I haven't run Cypher in a while is like, you know, like depicting the setting really cool, knowing to pull on, you know, players' backgrounds. It, I think it's sort of general jam skills that I get rusty on anyway. So there's still sort of a a lead up time. But you're right, like the mechanics, I could, you know, I, I feel like even early on, I could run Cypher out of as long as I had a die roller, right? And like some mm -hmm. gravel to use as XP tokens. Like I could, <laughs> I could run a cyber system game in my sleep. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think that's me. I think that's just, you know, for, for the big hardcover books we have, uh, it's still very little of that is rules. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and, a, yeah. and a lot of it is explicit statement of like, there's this logical corollary of the core rule we have here here is me restating it in case you weren't sure this is how you would handle it. This is how we would handle it. Um, and also a lot of handholding about you do you, <laughs> which I <laughs> deeply appreciate. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's so other games that um, really have story focus before mechanics. You know, there's super light stuff like Ten Candles, Dread, right? The mechanic is pulling <laughs> a Jenga mm -hmm. block out of the tower whenever you're trying to do something hard or scary. Um, and when the Django tower falls, uh, the bad, scary horror thing happens. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I like games that let me do that, but, but sometimes I also, like we said before, you know, the, the porridge is just the right temperature for me. Right. Um, mm -hmm. it gives me that little bit of mechanics when I'm feeling stuck in a rut or like I can't come up with anything very quickly. Um, one thing I would say it, that I've really enjoyed, uh, that sort of does this element very well for me is like development mode sessions of Invisible Sun. Man, I just eat that up. Uh, so you, you have the Sooth deck, which is kind of like a tarot deck, and uh, you're supposed to just kind of draw one per short scene of like 
a flashback episode or like a side scene episode where like this one player wants to have a heist and doesn't want to involve the other players, right? So it's supposed to be sort of short focused side scenes apart from mostly the narrative. And so you, you know, you draw a card and it has this divination and you sort of narrate how it went. And so it's sort of at my fingertips when I am like, I, I need an influx of, uh, of something to, to riff off of. And so I can just grab it whenever I want, but Otherwise, it's it's asking me to just narrate the best I can. So I, I like that. What about other games, uh, Troy, that are good at helping you put story focus before mechanics or otherwise kind of making the mechanics really easy or get out of the way a lot? Um, yeah, I mean, I think any of the kind of the, the lighter games, like uh, A Quiet Year comes to mind, right? Oh, Where yeah. You know, there, there aren't a lot of mechanics. You're just kind of narrating and drawing on the map as to, you know, what's happening. Um, again, I, I think that the Powered by the Apocalypse are great narrative games, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole flow of those games is narrate until a move is triggered, roll the dice, narrate the outcome. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I think that those are kind of the couple that come immediately to mind as, as very, you know, kind of story focused, um, but, you know, just in different ways, um, from what I think that we experience. Um, I would also say as much as I suck at it, fate is, is interesting because I think it, it mechanizes a lot of story in a way that I am not good at handling, Mm -hmm. but I respect and I'm always really delighted to get to play in. Um, so what I mean by that is you have aspects. So uh, Troy and I are podcasting in our relative spaces. And so our the room we're in probably has the aspect that has audio equipment. It has the aspect, mine, <laughs> mine has the aspect uh, is a messy kitchen, <laughs> right? Or uh, like, yeah, and so you, so there are aspects and then there's also your character aspects. So sort of what makes you you is never going to be the same for any two characters, right? Because you you weave the the bits of story that you care about physically into the the way you build your character. Not unlike the way that uh, Cypher System does character sentences, I'm a blank blank who blanks. You have several of those sentences that say something about your character and you can call on them when they're relevant. Um, even mm-hmm. 13th Age has background, has a your one unique thing, which you yep. get to build and it still has a mecha- it has like mechanical oomph behind it, but uh, it is tied to the story that your character really cares about, which I think is interesting. So I think that's a cool yeah. way that people make mechanics more interesting to me because they are so uh, customized and tied to what you you the player want to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that yeah, and and this one is like you know, like I said, by no means Cipher does this best or mm-hmm. better or anything like that right it's just it's what i personally get out of it right yeah. is the, kind of all these things feed into helping me tell the best story that i can that is a great point to end on i think um so thank you so much for joining us for this episode we're gonna uh, give some podities now and uh and yeah and thank you jim fitzpatrick for uh giving us this excellent topic it was really made us think deeply and and lovely so appreciate it yes thank you very much jim uh so before we jump into our podities uh, i want to talk about another show on the misdirected mark network 
and that show is the Wednesday Evening Podcast All-Stars. Uh, on the show, Brett, Tom, Kevin, Chris, and Emily get together and play games that get edited down into an audio drama for your ears. Uh, join this crew of All-Star players as they create stories for the games you love. Uh, this is a really good show. I have listened to uh, parts of uh, the first one, um, and yeah, they do a great job editing it down to, um, you know, kind of a drama format and, and keeping just the core of what's needed there. So it's really good. Ooh, I'll have to listen to that. And uh, moving on, my potity uh, this week is uh, Christopher West, Yay. who makes some awesome maps, uh, including men, many of the Numenera maps. Uh, the mm -hmm. original Numenera map was uh, by Christopher West. But uh, he has a Patreon uh, that we can link in the show notes. Uh, it is patreon.com slash mapmaker. Uh, so if you are interested in any kind of maps i mean he does sci-fi maps he does fantasy yeah. maps um all kinds of different maps uh go and check out either his website or his patreon uh for all of your map making goodness <laughs> excellent i love christopher west's maps they are mm -hmm. incredible yes. go check it out um just a delight uh and I needed, because I made a whole fuss about it earlier in the episode, my potity is going to be that YouTube video that I talked about and didn't know the name of. And so it is from, the YouTube channel is Lindsay Ellis, um, and the series that the YouTube video comes from is The Whole Plate. And it comes from this dumb trash line in the dumb trash hilarious movie, Transformers 1. <laughs> uh, and it's episode three. And the title is, Why is it so hard to remember what happens in Transformers? Um, but generally, just go listen to all of her stuff. She's insightful. And I feel like there's so much we can learn. Um, you know, learning a little bit about storytelling in film, I just feel like I pick up so mm -hmm. much for, for gaming and other kinds of storytelling. So it's a delight to watch. Really well edited. She also has a Patreon. So I think she get, is able to pay editors and things. So it's just... Just great. Watch The Whole Plate, episode three, and watch everything else she's ever done. She'd link in the show notes. <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, uh, you can feel free to hit us up on Twitter at CypherSpeakPod. And if you have any topics or any responses to any of the myriad of things we talked about in this episode, please free to hit us up there. Absolutely. It's really good to be back. Uh, so please send us your, your feedback, your suggestions for future topics. We love getting these meaty, uh, delicious um, suggestions from fan folks. And you can uh, email us at cypherspeakpod at gmail.com or leave comments on our episodes at cypherspeak.com, uh, which I think is, is still, I think we're still rebuilding those old episodes, the back episodes, so bear with us. <laughs> but uh, you can subscribe uh, to us on iTunes or, you know, whatever your favorite podcast catching app is. And we, of course, always appreciate uh, any ratings people are willing to give. Absolutely. So, Troy... Uh, what new game are you going to terrorize with your cipher system mechanics this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> Cypherspeak is a member of the Misdirected Mark Podcast Network, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Are you not entertained? <laughs> I'm always entertained. <laughs>